The scripture reading for today is Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I am speaking human terms. May it never be, for otherwise how will God judge the world? But if through my life the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, as we are slanderously reported, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may come, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already told Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps, asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. If you have your uh, Bibles open to Romans, keep them there. Yes, we are still in Romans. Yes, it's been a while since we've been there. But we're going to uh, try to pick up where we left off eight weeks ago. Eight weeks ago, wanted to have scripture reading in Romans chapter 3 so you would remember, which you don't forget, the last several sermons in chapter 3, where we've transitioned from the wicked sinners to the Jewish sinners. And we have that. But anyway, first off, I know everyone that came by the church on Thursday was wondering where I was at. Because I was not here on Thursday. All of you drove by and saw I wasn't here, right? Right? Okay, good. Uh, I was entertaining my fifth grandchild. See the family resemblance? Yes, he has a little bit more hair than I do. But other than that, same nose. Anyway, you can tell. Uh, Brayson Fabaris. Very interesting name. Well, you can't read that. Now you see the resemblance. Cheeks. They were good. They are good. But anyway, that was for free. That's where I was on Sunday. Or Thursday. 
Thursday. I'm here on Sunday. Okay? Yeah. Let's pray and prepare ourselves for the, re- for the study of God's Word. Thank you, Father, for Romans chapter 3. It has been very difficult, Father, for us to look at Romans chapter 3 and the sinfulness of mankind. We ask, Father, that you would help us as we uh, complete this section and discussion about sin. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand your view of sin and how that uh, sin is so contrary to you. And I pray, Father, that uh, you would help us keep our own sin life on check and that, Father, help us to understand that salvation is to take care and deal with our sin. And I ask, Father, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would work in us as we study your word and take the word of God and apply it to our lives in whatever way we need to hear it. I ask, Father, that you would be glorified through this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Romans chapter 3. Last time, eight weeks ago, which you clearly remember, we were in verse 5. Verse 5 talked about the righteousness of God. We talked about how people who attend church, who do not believe they will be judged like any other sinner. They think by coming to church that somehow they will be uh, given by their effort of coming to church, some kind of special pass for their sin. And we talked about how the church attender does unrighteousness, is always connected to the wrath of God, to the wrath of God. We talked also about verse 7, how that the truth of God abounds for His glory. That church attenders who rebel against the truth of God, no matter if you attend church or don't attend church, you are still under the wrath of God. Then in verse 8, we talked about uh, how uh, the thought comes up that Paul is talking about doing evil so that good may show up. And this is not right either. And the church attender rebels by justly justly condemned by the truth of God. It's the truth of God that shows our sinfulness. Then we ended last time we were here eight weeks ago in verse 6. And we talked about how otherwise, how will God judge the world? And how everyone that rebels against the truth of God will be judged by the truth of God. The Word of God teaches that God is the one who takes the initiative. And everyone who seeks God is first sought by God. Uh, there's a place in Canada called Wabush. Wabush. It's in Canada, and it's in the isolated parts of Canada. And for many years, there was no road into Wabush. They finally built a road. The nearest city to Wabush was a six-hour drive away. So the road they built was six hours long, to get to Wabush, and guess what? There is only one road into Wabush. And if you were leaving Wabush, you had to go 
on the same road out of town. One way in, one way out. When we're talking about sin, this is exactly what we're talking about. With sin, you are headed towards one town. And that town will be sin. And there's no other way out of that town except what the Bible calls repentance. Repentance. You have to repent, which means turn the other way and go back. Some people, spiritually, are still in the town of Wabash because they've never repented of their sins and turned around to God. We're going to look at a passage this morning that is kind of getting again to the definition of what sin is and again talking about how all of us are sinners and how the, we have to deal with it. How we have to deal with it. If you look at verse 9, verse 9, the first question on your handout is courtroom law. What would a heavenly courtroom find against the world? What would a heavenly courtroom find against the world? The first thing that we notice is that the sinful actions and sin nature are in a state of being that is contrary to the actions and nature of God. Now, I know that's wordy, but I want you to make sure you understand what happens when we say we sin. With sin, you have sinful actions, which shows you have a sin nature. And that sin nature and sinful actions are in a state of being that is contrary to the actions and nature of God. The actions and nature of God. Actions and natures of God are holy. The actions of a human with our sin nature and sinful actions is not holy. Everybody seems to think that you're a good person. And the problem with saying you're a good person is you compare yourself to other people. The definition, though, of a good person is one who walks with God. Someone who is God. <laughs> Someone whose actions are godly. Someone whose nature is godly. Other than that, we are born with sin. Now, we could go down this road, and we'd probably start in the Old Testament, and we go all the way to the book of Revelation, De describing sin. But I'll take, a, I'll take a quick route here and I'll give you six basic topics of sin. The reason you sin. The first sin that you have is imputed sin. Imputed sin. Which means you get your sin nature from Adam. Adam and Eve were in the garden. Eve was deceived, but Adam sinfully took the fruit that God told him not to. All the trees in the garden he could eat from, but not that one tree. His wife was deceived by the serpent. Adam took, willfully sinned. Because of that, through the curse of Adam, we all receive a sin nature. We're, 
Our sin is imputed to us. But it goes beyond that. What is inherited sin? Inherited sin, which in other words comes from your sin nature in who you are. Who you are. I've talked about my kids many times, how they learned how to sin without me teaching them to sin. Anyone that has children can understand this. We don't teach them. They know how to sin. Third, sins of commission. Sins of commission. In other words, you know what is right, but you sin fully knowing what you're doing is wrong. You know what you're doing wrong. James chapter 4 talks about that. Fourth, you have sins of omission. Sins of omission. Colossians 3 talks about not doing what is right. Doing what is right. So you can sinning by not doing the right thing. Just allowing other things to happen. By you not doing the right thing, and you know what the right thing is, and you don't do it, that is sin. Fifth, there are sins of intent. Sins of intent. Um, This is what comes from your heart. You think it, but you don't do it. God still sees that as sin. You think about something evil. Somebody, you're going down Highway 77, somebody cuts you off. You think something evil, but you don't do it. Still, that is a sin. Six, sins of ignorance. Sins of ignorance. In other words, in your thinking, you think you are doing the right thing. But even though you think you're doing the right thing, you're going against the character of God. You are actually sinning. You're actually sinning. Now, you know, you may think you're a good person until you actually look at what the Bible says is sin. With these small definitions, just sin of six of them, you and I are sinners. And we have a sin problem. We have to have something to correct this. This is exactly what started in chapter 1 of Romans, verse 16, which is just a few sermons ago. You remember that? Okay. And... We've been studying sin ever since then. And we have been going deeper and deeper into sin. We talked about the wicked sinner. We talked about the moral sinner. We talked about the hypocritical sinner. Now we're talking about the Jewish sinner. We're talking about sinners. And it's getting lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. And it's been getting hard to preach. It's hard to come up with something encouraging when we are going down the pit of sin. We're almost done. But we still got a couple more verses. We still haven't gone low enough. What Paul is trying to do in chapters 1 through 3 is to get us to the point to realize there's nothing, nothing, nothing you can do about your sin. You can't do anything. The only way is through the work of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. 
Without the work of Jesus Christ, you are lost. There's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. One pastor put it this way. Self-respect must be destroyed. And it is destroyed in order that he might stand as a naked, shameless, bankrupt person before God. Who then, who God then will move in grace to restore him, not merely to the imperfect position which he possessed before, but to the superior position of sons of God, destined to be associated with the Lord Jesus Christ and the government of the universe forever. That's good. I like that. Sin is deep and there's no way out. But with Jesus Christ, there's a way out, not to where you were, but to a better place. To being a child of God. To be an ambassador of Christ. To be a believer in Jesus Christ. There is a way out. So, if you're tired of sermons on sin, we only have a few more. Hang with me. Verse 9. Verse 9. What then? What then? Are we better than they? Paul includes himself talking about the Jewish people, comparing themselves to Gentiles. Jewish people in that day always sought themselves better morally than the other Gentiles. But Paul says, are we better than they? The answer, not at all. We have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. Jews and Greeks are under sin. What would a holy and righteous God accuse the world or charge the world? I like that better. But anyway, what would a holy and righteous God accuse the world of in a heavenly courtroom? What would God be, bring a charge against you? The charge is that your sinful actions and sin nature would accuse people or charge people of being under the power of sin. Under the power of sin. Your sinful actions will show evidence that you have a sin nature. Your sin nature brings, brings the charge against you that you are under the power of sin. Paul's saying, the Jew, the Gentiles, everyone under the power of sin. The power of sin. The wicked sinner, the moral sinner, the hypocritical sinner, the Jewish sinner are under the power of sin. If you go to church and think that by going to church somehow you'll please God, it's still under the power of sin. You have to somehow get out from under the power of sin. And, sorry, there's absolutely no way you can do it. There's nothing you can do to remove your sin nature, to remove your sinful actions, to somehow get out of the power of sin. It still will be there. Anything and everything you do. For we have already charged a legal term, a person previously indicted for a given offense. This is the only time in the New Testament it's put here. This is the only time. It sums up everything that Paul's been saying since the first chapter. 
Both Jews and Greeks are under sin. Present tense. Active, by the way. Active is that, in other words, the person does something to be under the power of sin. You know what you do? You know what you do? You sin. If you sin, sins of omission, commission, imputed, inherited, all those sins, if you do any one of those sins, you are under the power of sin. Under sin. Under sin. By the way, notice the word sin. Notice the word sin. This has been the subject from chapter 1 to chapter 2 to chapter 3. And Paul has never used it before. This is the first occurrence in the book of Romans about sin. Ah! We've been having sermon on sermon on sermon about sin. But this is the first time he brings up the actual word. It will become a very popular word in the next few chapters. He'll use it 48 times. But this is the first time. Sin. Sin. This is the problem people have. It's not just they commit sins. The problem is that they're enslaved to sin. They're enslaved to sin. There was an uh, important man in his state. He had connections with the government and state government. And I don't know what state this was, but his brother was put up on murderer's row. He was convicted of murdering somebody. And he wanted to get his brother out of prison. So he went and pleaded and pleaded. And the governor finally gave him a pardon. And he took the pardon and he put it in his pocket. And he went to the prison to talk to his brother. He said, brother, what would happen? What would you do if you got a pardon? From the governor. This is what his brother said. He said, the first thing I would do is I'd track down the judge who sentenced me and I'd kill him. And the next thing I would do is I'd track down the chief witness and I'd kill him. The brother who came with the pardon in his pocket left with the pardon in his pocket. See, what happens is, is we sin. And we sin and we sin, and we sin. And sometimes even sinners come to church, and they think church will do something, and they go out on Monday, and they sin, and they sin, and they sin. They're under the power of sin. They're enslaved to sin. The power in their life that controls them is sin. And everything they do is sinful. If the pit's not low enough, let me dig it a little deeper. All people are under sin. Evil in our thoughts continually, Genesis 6 says. Job 14 says we're, we're unclean because of our sin. Psalm 51 says we're shaped by our sin. Isaiah 64 says we're unclean as filthy rags because of our sin. Jeremiah 12 says we're deceitful and desperately wicked. Ephesians 2 says we're children of wrath. 
Ephesians 2, later on, says, we're aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We're alienated from the life of God, Ephesians 4. We're dead in our trespasses and sin, Colossians 2. I told you, it's everywhere in the Bible. Sin is a problem. Sin is a problem. Now, Paul is talking to Jewish people. Jewish people in that day believed they were special because they had the oracles of God. Chapter 3, verse 1. But notice verse 10. It says, as it is written. It uses the oracles that the Jews thought made them special. And he quotes them. He quotes them. This is great. He quotes seven passages in the Old Testament. And he puts them together in a mix to form this paragraph. And in this mix, he quotes them. And sometimes we have problems figuring out where he comes from in what Old Testament passage he's talking about. But the Old Testament, you know, today we quote somebody, we have to quote it exactly. In that day, they didn't quote exactly. That wasn't a priority for them. So they give you just a little piece of that quote. And he expects you to know what Old Testament passage he's talking about. Now, I'm not going to test you. But he gives us seven quotes. He brings the lengthiest quote of any letter in Paul's writings. He gives us the citation of your sin based upon the book, the Old Testament, that you think makes you special. Verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. Let's, let's think about that for a minute. There is none righteous, not even one. In other words, using this courtroom, we're going into the courtroom and they're bringing evidence against us. What evidence will God bring against the sinner who comes into his courtroom? What evidence will be given? First one, the sinner does not comprehend God's work of justification. The sinner does not comprehend God's work of justification. He doesn't know what makes him righteous. Justification is the way that God declares a sinner righteous. Without God declaring you righteous, making you justified, there is no way that you get out of under the sin, the power of sin. You cannot do it. You have to be justified. Justification will make you righteous. If you do not know about justification, it's evidence that you do not know what righteousness is. Here you go. None righteous. In other words, all lack righteousness. Righteousness is a major theme in the book of Romans. It comes up 30 times in the book of Romans. There's not a righteous person on earth who will do good and will not sin unless they experience justification. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, which gets quoted a lot, 
Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, the standard is not how good you are compared to your neighbor or how good you are compared to your kids or how good you are compared to your weird uncle. You are good if you compare yourself with a good God. Your comparison is given towards God. What does God require? Perfection. Perfection. How many of you under the power of sin can be perfect? None. There is none righteous. In other words, a person who is not as good as God is not acceptable to God. There is either the perfect righteousness in Jesus Christ or perfect sinfulness apart from Jesus Christ. By the way, only two options there. You're either perfectly righteous by being in Christ or you're perfectly sinful apart from Christ. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20 says, Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and never sins. Never sins. You have a misunderstanding about justification. That's the first one. There's five of them. Here we go, another one. Second. Second. Verse 11. There is none who understands. There is none who understands. What evidence would be brought to a courtroom, a heavenly courtroom? Number two, the sinner does not comprehend God's work of regeneration. God's work of regeneration. He doesn't understand God. He doesn't know God. He can't comprehend God. He doesn't understand how regeneration changes your life. Regeneration, by the way, is when you accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, repent of your sins, place your faith in Jesus Christ, your trust in Jesus Christ. When you do that, the Bible says, again, you're born. In other words, you become a new and different person. A new and different person. You understand you understand. You have a lack of understanding. It's seen by a failure to seek God. You have a false understanding. People don't have the ability to fully comprehend God's truth or His standard of righteousness because you are under the power of sin and your sin nature causes you to go the wrong way. The wrong way. Your sinful nature does not understand or know God. Regeneration is how you get to know God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them. Ephesians 4, 18, Being darkened in their understanding. A sign of a non-believer is a lack of understanding of the Word of God. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't understand how it applies to him. He doesn't understand how his life will be different. But a believer is born again. A new person 
Third, the end of verse 11. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. There is none who seek for God. What evidence would be found that could be used in a heavenly courtroom? Three, the sinner does not comprehend God's work of reconciliation. God's work of reconciliation. Work of reconciliation. Reconciliation is when you are declared at peace with God. At peace with God. When you become at peace with God, your life changes, your priority changes, and you want to spend time knowing God. You want to know Him more. You want to know Him better. But a person under the power of sin does not seek for God. There is none. All the religions of the world are attempts to seek God. Really? No, I don't think so. All the religions of the world seek somehow to please and satisfy the person or the sin nature in that person. Only one is faith in Jesus Christ. Every person who comes to Jesus Christ for salvation has been sent to him by the work of God the Father. The only person, therefore, who seeks God is the person God works in that reconciles you to Jesus Christ so you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you want to know Him. You want to know Him, and you will seek after Him. person under sin will rebel. When God does the work of reconciliation, everything becomes about God. God becomes the focus of everything, the source of everything, the beginning of everything, the end of everything. God is everything. 2 Corinthians 5.19, namely, Christ was in God. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he committed to us the word of reconciliation. You, once you are reconciled, you want to be a worker of reconciliation. You want everybody to know Jesus. That becomes your focus for your life. Your work is no longer your goal. Your focus is how you can share Jesus Christ with your co-workers. Everything you have, you want to raise a family of kids, great. But if you've been reconciled, you want to reconcile them to God. You want to share with them the gospel message so that they will have a relationship with God. Fourth, fourth, what evidence will be used, could be found and used in a heavenly courtroom? Number four, verse 12. They all have turned aside, and together they have become useless. They have turned aside together, and they have become useless. Third, fourth, no, four. The sinner does not comprehend God's work of adoption. God's work of adoption. God's work of adoption is when you place your faith in Jesus Christ and God, by His work, makes you a son of God. Technically, a firstborn son of God. He makes you a child of His. He makes you a member of the family. He gives you a new name. He adopts you into 
your new family. Adoption keeps you from turning aside. You will always be adopted. Literally, to, to turn aside means to lean the wrong direction. It's a military term when it's used in military situation. It talks about a soldier going away in battle. The person under sin wants to live apart from God. Apart from God. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. If you're under sin this week, you want to go your own way. If you've been adopted into the family of God, you want to please your heavenly Father this week. A difference. A difference. Notice together they have become useless. Together, all at the same time. Everyone on under sin goes the same way. Everyone under sin is on the same train going the wrong way. You are going the wrong way under sin. You become useless to God going the wrong way. You need to be adopted into the family of God and you can take over the business of God and have a purpose for living. You want to be useful. By the way, the word for useless there means milk that's turned sour. Unfit to drink. Unfit to drink. Applied to moral things, corrupt or useless. The natural man under sin is useless for the purposes of God. The purpose you're here on this planet is to share the work of Jesus Christ with others. Adoption is a legal term. It's a legal act which changes who you are and how you live. You want to live according to God's family rules. Fifth, fifth, the end of verse 12, they have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. There's none that does good, not even one. What evidence would be found that could be used in a heavenly courtroom? Five, the sinner does not comprehend the work of sanctification. The work of sanctification. Now, sanctification may be the theme for next week as we go through verses down through 18. But right now, he starts with sanctification. Sanctification is where you are set apart for doing what God wants you to do. In other words, righteousness. Romans says you become a slave to righteousness. Slave to righteousness. When you become saved, you become slave to righteousness. You become sanctified. Person under sin does not know good. Does no good. There's not even one. None does, does good. Nothing good comes out of a person under the power of sin. Who does good? All people are morally corrupt in rebellion against God. No one does good. Psalm 53 3 says, Every one of them has turned aside. Together they have been com cor become corrupt. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Not even one. From the testimonies of their own oracles, Jews are told they're sinners. They're sinners. Without the work of Jesus Christ, everyone will stay in the power of sin. Jesus Christ is the only one to break that power. How did he do it? 
He lived a life perfectly under the law. He kept the law perfectly. He's the only one ever to do it. And on the cross, he took upon your sin. All you have to do is place your head, your hand upon the sacrifice that was made for you and identify with that sacrifice and the blood would cover your sins. You have to accept that gift, that work done on your behalf. And if you do, you're justified. You're regenerated. You're reconciled. You're adopted. You're sanctified. Do you understand the difference? Can you imagine this week living under the power of sin? And by the way, if you live under the power of sin, you think that's the best way to live. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are redeemed. You are sanctified. You are adopted. You are reconciled. You've been regenerated. You've been justified. You have everything you need in this life to live not under the power of sin. Believer, listen to me. You do not play with sin. The power of sin can only affect a believer when the believer allows that sin power to come into his life. Don't live under the power of sin. Application. I thought I did that one. Okay, anyway. Number five was sinner does not comprehend God's work of sanctification. I didn't give you that one? Okay, good. I've hit the wrong button. I will demonstrate that the work of salvation in my life and I will produce fruit that with the Holy Spirit's influence and show the power of sin has been broken. This week, your life is to show that the power of sin does not have control over your life. You have been given freedom from that power. I will demonstrate the work of salvation has been done in my life and I will produce fruit that is in keeping with the Holy Spirit's influence and show that the power of sin in my life has been broken. Scripture teaches that God is the one who takes the first step. God takes this first step. You respond to God's step. You place your faith in Jesus Christ and everything you need, everything you need is to break the power of sin. And Jesus does that. Break the power of sin. Set people free from sin. A power that's only in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here you go. Here's the teaching of a person still under the power of sin. Quote, I have done great things today. I'll do greater things tomorrow. That kind of thinking gives an indication that you're still under the power of sin. You think you can do everything you need to do and you will do greater things tomorrow. The believer says... By the power of God, 
I will produce fruit in keeping with God's commands. Through the Holy Spirit, I will do pleasing things to God that will give Him the glory. The person under the power of sin says, Me, 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 me. We have dug a deeper hole in this pit of sin today. Don't get discouraged. Help is on its way. We'll get there. Not tomorrow, not next Sunday. But we will get there soon. Understand how serious God takes sin. Don't play with sin. Don't ever think that sin is the better way than God's way. Everybody with me? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity in your word. Thank you, Father, for the principles you teach us in your word. I pray, Father, that you would help us this day, this week, this month, to live as free believers, not under the power of sin, but under the power of the Holy Spirit, under the power of God. Thank you, Father, that you justified us, that you regenerated us, that you reconciled us, that you adopted us, that you sanctified us. We thank you, Father, for your work in our lives. We ask, Father, that you would continue to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I pray, Father, that you would work in our lives so that you receive the glory and honor in everything we say and do. For your glory, Father, that's why we live. For your gospel message to be presented to others, that's why we live. We do not desire, Father, to take pleasure in sin. I pray, Father, that you help every person in the room that has a habitual sin that they're battling with. I pray, Father, you give them power through the Word of God, through prayer, through admonishment from other believers. Father, help us to defeat the power of sin that comes into our lives when we allow sin free reign. Thank you, Father for your work in our lives. We give you all glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.